The violin may be a centuries-old classical instrument, but it's still a crucial element in modern pop music way more than you might realize. Today's guest selector is a professional violinist who proves that point in five songs across different genres that rely on her symphonic sensibilities. Hey folks, this is Pam Torno, and you're listening to Select Five, a show where you get to know people through a conversation about five songs that matter to them. And sometimes the best way to get to know a musician is through the music they create. My guest selector in this episode is a supremely talented, hardworking local musician whose work you might have heard, even if you don't know her by name. She is Shayna Evanick, a violinist, a composer, an arranger, and a band leader. Though she's classically trained, she plays way more than just classical music. In fact, she leads the string section for the Bay Area-based musical collective Jazz Mafia and its spinoff, Cosa Nostra Strings, which means she's an expert at blending genres, from chamber music to jazz and hip-hop, rock, R&B, and funk. She also has an impressive list of recording credits. In 2018, Shana recorded her debut solo album, Hit Woman Honey, and she continues to lend her talents to other recording artists as well. And I'm talking Grammy winners like Leon Bridges and Lizzo. She's also shared the stage with Odessa, Roy Ayers, Gregory Porter, Chicago, Macy Gray, and so many more. Uh, Today, we're going to hear about five artists she's worked with in the studio, all coming from different styles, and we'll get to hear songs from a violinist perspective. Shana, I'm so honored to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Oh, I'm so stoked, Pam. That was also the nicest intro I've had ever, maybe. (laughs) Thank you so much. Well, you deserve it. You deserve it for sure. Um, So, you know, being a violinist, I think, is on its own a pretty unique career, but I feel like you've taken it uh, to a whole other level of unique. How did you transform from a classical musician to everything that you do now? Great question. I'm a professional weirdo. Um, No, I, so I began studying classical violin when I was five years old, sort of just came out of nowhere that I started begging my parents for a violin and violin lessons. Um, And my father is a professional musician. And at the time, he was really deep in the world of bluegrass. um, And he was in a touring bluegrass band. So I spent a lot of time in my childhood going to bluegrass festivals and shows. And, you know, I kind of thought everybody had band practice at their house Sunday nights. Um, So it's possible that me wanting a violin actually didn't come out of nowhere. It's very possible it came from seeing Lori Lewis play fiddle at a bluegrass festival or something like that. But I honestly don't remember because I was so young. So um, all that to say, I grew up with this sort of very musical um, family, uh, but I was the only one studying classical. uh, And then everything else was, you know, like Americana and bluegrass. And my mom's like a huge classic rock fan. And we always had vinyl spinning in the house. And um, so when I decided to pursue music in college, I I went to the San Francisco Conservatory of Music um, and had an amazing, amazing time there, just really honing my skills and technique and you know, doing everything the right way. And then when I graduated, though, I was pretty, pretty clear that I wanted to do something different. Um, Most people that go the sort of classic conservatory route, you know, they stick around, they get their master's, maybe their DMA, then they take auditions. And if they succeed, they end up in an orchestra, which is wonderful. Um, But I just wanted to do other stuff. And I missed playing other styles like I had done in my childhood. So um, 
I kind of just hung around San Francisco, gigged a little bit, studied at the jazz school, um, you know, just kind of took in all the different musical genre offerings that the area has. And, um, and then sort of, I guess, slowly became known as somebody that sort of crosses different genres with my playing and um, linked up with the good folks from Jazz Mafia and a bunch of other people in the Bay and just things kind of took off from there. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like you were obviously exposed to all different forms of music, you know, when you were growing up. And it sounds like you could have been a fiddler in a, in a bluegrass band if you wanted to. Um, I don't you know, know I, that I'm I, good enough, but <laughs> I definitely it was like if I was like, when I was a kid at the festivals, I was allowed to stay up as late as I wanted, as long as I was in the jam session, because that's where my dad was, you know, and he could keep his eyes on me. So definitely spent a lot of time doing that. Yeah. I'm just thinking of like all of the music that that I'm exposed to just everything there's violin and string arrangements and everything. Right. So like the music that I grew up with, the Beatles or the beach boys or the zombies or symphonic soul, like Isaac Hayes or Curtis Mayfield. I still, even though it's everywhere, I, I still feel like I'm caught up in this idea that it's, you know, it's just classical music. Do you feel like you have to fight stereotypes when you first meet people and you tell them that you play violin? Do they make assumptions about the kind of music that you're making? That's a great question. I, I mean, I don't really know. I definitely uh, have to battle the, oh, that's so cute <laughs> when I tell people that I'm a violinist very often. Um, but, um, you know, I think that strings are such an important part, like you said, of, of, of many, many, many different genres. It's just one of the things that people don't necessarily think about. Strings create sort of an emotion and a texture a lot of the time in the music. And so if you're just, you know, singing along to your favorite Lizzo tune, you might not notice that, you know, there's this, there's this sort of undertone of emotion or there's swells that are happening. And usually those are driven by strings. Um, so I don't know. I think that it's sort of a, it's kind of a special thing. Like I get to secretly be behind a lot of this music with, without people really knowing yeah. I'm sort of tugging on your heartstrings or I'm sort of driving the emotion of a song, or at least that's the way that I like to look at it. And I approach a lot of my writing. Well, that's, I guess that's what I think, what I'm thinking about too, is that you know, when I'm listening to a song, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm mostly paying attention to what the rhythm section is doing or, or what, what the singer is singing. Um, and there may be a string arrangement there, but I'm, I guess I'm not as attuned to, I feel like I, I, I don't pay attention as much as I should at, at what that violin is doing to <laughs> affect my emotion. I, I mean, and I also read that the violin is the closest sound to the human voice yeah. or the closest sounding instrument to the human voice. So I'm just wondering if maybe that's, I guess I don't really have a question so much as an observation or how you how you feel about that, because that's what I hear about what strings add and what violins add is what it's doing to your emotion rather than like what notes it, it's playing. Totally. I mean, you're spot on. At least that's the way I approach things. Violin is the closest instrument to especially the female voice, sort of like the alto soprano register. And okay. so it really, yeah, it really often does something to us without us even noticing. It feels very familiar. It feels very comfortable. And there's always this push and pull with music, um, composing at least where it's like, where can I go? Where can I take somebody with the music that I'm writing? If it's super out avant-garde jazz, like 
it's often a little too far for folks. So the push and pull that we're constantly playing with is how can we make people feel comfortable so that they'll relax into the music and listen in a deeper way. And then from that place of comfort, where can we draw them into, right? Like sort of like the, you know, safety zone and then the learning zone and then the like fight or flight zone, right? With human emotions. So it's like trying to find that sweet spot of pulling people into a new space, you know, emotionally, or maybe it's provoking thought, but but that always has to come from a place of familiarity or comfort or else people just will probably skip to the next song. <laughs> you know, they'll have some sort of a reaction of like, oh, this is too much for me. I can't I can't dig this or you know, there's nothing for me to grasp here. So you actually released your solo debut album called Hit Woman Honey. Um, I wanted to know what it's like composing your own songs when the violin, I guess, comes first, if you're composing your songs and you're a violinist, as opposed to like, what is the violin adding to this song that someone else has created? What itch are you scratching or what, what muscles are you exercising there that you don't get to do when you're playing with other bands or other musicians? Yeah, you nailed it. That's what's so cool about, um, you know, being what, at least for that record, it was so cool coming from a really violinistic standpoint and kind of expanding the music from there. Cause you're right. I, it's usually the other way around, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, most people consider the rhythm section to be, you know, the spine of a song. And I think we often, uh, experience music that way and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and it might be that that's the case for my music as well, but it did, uh, all come from the violin first and then expanded out. And then the rhythm section was, you know, one of the last things that I added. So I think that that makes for more potentially more melodic music um, because we're thinking, I tend to think very horizontally. So I really think in melody and then kind of add in the vertical texture from there, the harmony, hmm. you know, the thickness, the chords, how does it support the melody, which, you know, that may be a lot, it might be sort of a pop aesthetic too. I think, you know, in pop music, we, we hear that, you know, the melody, the hook is like the thing, right? So I suppose everybody writes in a different way, but, um, for me, yeah, Hit Woman Honey really started me and my violin in a room by ourselves, <laughs> like we usually are. And then I mostly used, uh, my band Coast Nostra Strings for that record, I, um, for a long time, I wanted to release something and I really didn't want to do like a solo looping violin album that wasn't totally inspiring to me, nor was sitting in my studio laying tracks over tracks over tracks of myself. Cause that's kind of what mm -hmm. I do for other folks. I really wanted to capture a more dynamic live sound and my, colleagues in Cosa Nostra were super generous with their time and they uh, they lended so much to that album. So almost everything on that record is was written for Cosa Nostra strings, which is violin, cello, viola, trombone, 
bass and rhythm section. So a totally wacko, weirdo, unique instrumentation. Um, but we get to play a lot with that orchestral sound, even though it's three strings, um, it can sound quite full. And then, you know, the places that we can go from there in any direction, in many directions, I should say, um, are really fun to explore. Can we talk about your instrument? I, I don't get the opportunity very often to talk to violinists. I just, you know, there's certain things that I, I'm curious about that seem maybe kind of elementary to you. But like, first of all, how many do you have one violin or do you have several that you play for different <laughs> types of songs? I I have a lot of different violins. Mm -hmm. I think I have six different violins and they all serve a really specific different function. Um, so um, the my acoustic violin that I use for all of my recordings is a German violin and she's almost a hundred years old. She'll be a hundred years old in seven years. Wow. Um, yeah, pretty cool. And then I have another acoustic violin that has a pickup on it. So it's an acoustic electric and that's what I play for most shows. Um, when I'm on stage with a band, just the functionality of it, but also since it's still wood and it's still acoustic, it has a really nice true sound and it sounds really warm. Um, so like with Cosa Nostra, I play that. And then I have a fully electric violin <laughs> that's like made of plastic and carbon fiber and that I will use pretty much exclusively if I'm doing aerial and then what else oh I have an led violin that is really cool for certain kinds of events where they want something really showy um, or I've done some really cool video projects with that one that are just very yeah. beautiful and then my most recent um member of the violin family over here is a really cool um, flying V violin that is made by Mark Woods. It's kind of the only violin that that works this way, but it doesn't have a chin rest. So it harnesses onto my body. So it straps across my chest and behind my back. And so it just kind of holds itself up there, which is really nice because, you know, we hold our instruments with our head and our neck and it can be it can cause a lot of um, trips to the chiropractor. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's been But your fun. muscles in that area, they have to be so, like, strong. Oh, yeah. They're so strong and so lopsided and uneven. <laughs> oh. Um, <laughs> we, uh, yeah, I do a lot of stretch stretching. But that's a really cool instrument, and I'm still getting to know it. It's only, it's I bought it three or four months ago. But um, that's actually a five-string, too. So very fun. Um, there's another one too, that's maybe the sixth, that's like a prop violin that I'll also often use for photo shoots where we're doing, you know, we're in water or snow or like doing kind of weird things. So it doesn't actually play. It went to Burning Man once and then after that it doesn't play anymore and that's fine. I have plenty of other ones. <laughs> yeah. I guess what I'm most curious about is, well, I'm curious about a lot of things actually, but for the focus of, of this episode, I think what I wanted to kind of hone in on was sort of, I guess, the the alchemy or the chemistry or the spark or whatever you want to call it that happens when an artist taps um, another talent to bring a song to life. So um, with that in mind, so these are five recorded songs that Shana has played on um, or done the string arrangements on, if I have that right. Yeah, they're all um, different. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so let's 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 get started with uh, selection number one. This is from an up and comer 
from Orange County who goes by the name St. Panther. Okay, so this is a song called These Days, which was released in 2020. Um, she's got a beautiful voice, really. Um, what? Tell us just what, what was it like working on the song? How did you hook up with St. Panther? So like many of the songs that I get looped into, they often come from a producer that I'm working with or somebody that's working on you know, this artist's songs and they, they decide that they want strings and it's, you know, they know of me. So they give a ring. And, um, that's what happened for this song. I did not previously know St. Panther. Um, but one of the producers in LA that I work with, you know, gave me a buzz one day and was like, Hey, I need some strings for this track. And it's usually like, I need them like tonight or like as soon as possible. (laughs) And so, um, I had some time and I, jumped in and listened to it and I was super excited to to play on this particular track. It's something, I mean, Daniela St. Panther is is so special. Her her vocals are incredible, but she she's a producer in her own right and probably played every other instrument on that track. Um so I got it and you know, it's tricky getting a a song that's almost at completion. You know, it's often the strings are sort of the final touch. And that was the case with this one. Yeah. And I really, I wanted to be super mindful to not overcrowd. Um, I think that the space in that song is really important. It's about uh, a friend of hers that passed on. And so it's sort of about, you know, continuing on life. Like, how do I just continue on like living these days and these days and these days without this person. And, um, I felt that, you know, first of all, I should say (laughs) any of my feelings about the music or the song are just mine and they definitely don't, I don't expect them to necessarily translate and I don't even necessarily want them to translate to anybody else because I'm a firm believer of really leaving room for the listener to have whatever experience that they have with a piece of music. Mm -hmm. So that disclaimer said, (laughs) I will say for me, the strings in this song needed to be subtle and they needed to support the emotion that was so strongly already there. And for me, it was sort of a sense of some ethereal something, maybe a presence of this spirit or or just something beyond something that would take you at the strings come in towards the end of the tune. And it's like, after she goes through, you know, the lyric content describing and feeling into these days that at the end, there's sort of just like a sparkle of something else. And, um, you know, so that was my intention. And I, I think it came out really nice. And I'm, I'm really glad that you know, the string, I don't know, it's like the last minute or something that the strings come in. And I, I love that when a song adds something unexpected towards the end, it can often change the meaning of the tune and, uh, or add, you know, 
take the meaning to the next level. And it's my hope that that's the case with this one. Yeah, it's it's definitely a lovely flourish at the end there. Uh, the song actually, I guess, got Michelle Obama's attention. I think it made her summer Spotify playlist or something like that. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, that yeah. was really cool. Um, so you also did um, a live version of the song. You didn't say, but is it is the rest of uh, other Jazz Mafia musicians uh, performing on the recorded track as well, or is it just you on the strings? It's just me, yeah. But we love this track so much um, and thought it would be really cool to do like an orchestral version of it. And mm-hmm. so I, I hit up St. Panther and I was like, hey, you want to do something crazy? Or she actually, I think she had liked one of these big videos that Jazz Mafia had put out during the pandemic. We were keeping ourselves entertained by going outside with like sometimes like a 30 piece orchestra and doing a mobile recorded live video shoot. Um, it was so fun. And so she, she was really loving one of those that we'd put out and I was kind of like, well, why don't we do one? And, um, her management was really excited. And so we ended up, um, Adam, my husband, who runs Jazz Mafia, and I did a arrangement of it for a full orchestra with like small choir, full string section, full horn section, and then we went, we we uh, flew Daniela up with her team, and then we went and filmed it at the beautiful UC Theater in mm-hmm. Berkeley, and uh, it just came out so nice. It was so, it was just a magical day. You know, we'd all been spending a lot of time alone in our houses. It was like dark days of the pandemic when we did it. Yeah. I remember those days. Yeah. Very dark. Um, and it was just such a magical day. Like it felt like the emotion of this song that was so near and dear to her just filled this huge room all day. And everybody was just really taken and, and sort of like in an altered state. Um, and then the, the product came out really nicely as well the be- beautiful footage and uh, the band sounds great. So it's really fun. It's nice to have sort of a second life of something, you know, like this, the original track has just little itty bit of strings. And then we kind of took it all the way to the other side and flipped it and had it be really symphonic and orchestral for another version, which is really fun. say I, I much prefer that version it just sounds so much richer and warmer and then you know something about that space I think adds a little character to that song too so um mm, thank you beautiful work thank you so much um I wanted to switch gears to your second selection so this was also released in 2020 this is from San Francisco's own monophonics yes love me some monophonics So this track is called Last One Standing, um, and this is from their 2020 album, It's Only Us. Um, I I love this song when this came out. So how cool was it for me to find out that that's you on violin? Tell me, tell me about recording this song. 
Right on. I love that. See what I'm saying? How cool it is to be like a little secret person in the back of a song. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I tugged your heartstrings and you didn't even know it. No, I did not know. <laughs> um, I've been working with the Monophonics for many, many years. Um, they've got this great studio in San Rafael that's one of the main recording places for coal mine records. So not only do we work on the Monophonics albums, but we work on Alana Royale's albums and tons of artists that are on that label. So it's Oh, I assumed it was all out of Ohio. So I was I didn't realize that Monophonics for somehow I didn't realize that they were from here. I knew yeah. they were on Coal Mine Records. I know Coal Mine is based in Loveland, Ohio. So I yep. just assumed everything was from the Midwest, but I guess I'm wrong. I mean, email is a beautiful thing. Yeah. So they've got this studio here that does a ton of stuff for Coal Mine. I think there's another studio back east as well that they work out of. Um but Kelly Finnegan produces so much for Coal Mine that he often just brings his artists out here. So um, I love working with those guys. Ironsides has a new record that's about to come out that we have a bunch of stuff on as well. Anyway, shameless plug. Back to last one standing. <laughs> um, so let's see. When I work with Monophonics, we work in several different ways. Sometimes they hire an arranger who will arrange the music. They'll send me the sheet music and maybe a demo, and then I'll put together a string section, and then we'll all go into the studio and track together. That's very, very common. We often work with the amazing arranger, Louis King, out of New York. We've got this awesome sort of across-the-continent email <laughs> relationship going. Um, for this particular song, uh, Kelly and I wanted to work on the string arrangement just us together. And so it was really fun. I, I went in and, and worked with Kelly probably, I don't know, a session or two. Um, and what that looks like is playing the track. I have my violin. I kind of play what I'm hearing. He sings what he's hearing. We kind of come up with some different lines or he's like, I want, you know, a big build here and some texture and I'm making, I'm taking notes while we're doing this or I'll, I'll uh, make a recording on my phone or something. And then I go home and I kind of flush that out. So depending on what instrumentation they want, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll write the parts and then I usually actually notate the parts out and make a little demo, overlay it over the demo that they have, send it back. I think in this case, we sent it back and I was like, here's what I'm hearing. Here's what I've got down. And if he has any edits, he lets me know. And then um, and then we go into the studio and we record it. So that's what we did for this one. Um, we were really majorly inspired by like Mar Marvin Gaye. Curtis Mayfield. I'm sure you can hear yeah. all of those influences in there. The intro, especially when I first heard it, I was like, oh, this is like Grapevine. This is so similar to Grapevine. Like maybe we can reference that without going too far and, you know, kind of pay homage to some of these greats, you know, that that are the reason that we're able to make music like this today. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I've heard, uh, you know, I've read a few comparisons of this song to Move On Up. Yeah. Um, which, you know, the violin in that song where Curtis Mayfield, he sings the melody and then I feel like the violin, there's kind of a call and response 
between the violin and the vocals, ba, ba, which ba, I ba, love. Ba, ba. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think I yeah. even quoted one of those lines in this. I think I, I think I took like one of those and just put it right in there, like, and, you know, messed with it a tiny bit, but I really, that was such a strong connection. I kind of wanted to be like, nod. Yes. <laughs> yes. Nod, nod to it directly. Yeah. Yeah. So that that song, that whole process was very, very different from what you did on these days, because you, you were actually actively writing this song with Kelly Finnegan. Totally. It's and it's so fun too. like it can. I love working by myself, but it's really fun working with somebody else because, you know, whether we like to admit it or not, we all have our habits. You know, we all have the the, the thing that we fall into when we're writing. And so working with somebody like Kelly, it's like, oh, yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that. That's exactly what needs to happen here. Let's go. You know, so it's, it gets me out of my, you know, my way of doing things and sort of expands out from there what I would you know, the way that I write. Well, let's, okay. So, um, let's move to, I guess, a different, uh, sort of way of working. So you've, you've worked with some massively famous pop stars, um, as we're about to hear in this third selection of yours. Um, I do have to apologize to the audience for playing a Christmas song in the off season, <laughs> but, but here we are. Although it's been said many times, many ways, Merry Christmas. So this came out Christmas 2020. That's Shawn Mendes and Camila Cabello. Um, it's funny because overall 2020, terrible year, but here uh, evidently a pretty good year for you in terms of uh, single releases. <laughs> um, how, how did you get tapped to work with Shawn Mendes and Camila Cabello? It, yeah, I was listening to you say you've worked with a lot of pop stars and I'm giggling in my head because I haven't actually worked with like in a room with any of them. <laughs> oh, so, okay. Yeah, that's what I wanted to know. <laughs> I wish, I wish. But I mean, honestly, the fact that I have a studio and can record at home is probably why I get these calls because <laughs> I can turn things around really quickly and I don't need to be flown to LA or Nashville or New York or wherever these recordings are happening. So um, probably makes my work a little bit more, uh, I don't know desirable for that reason. But, um, one of the producers that I work with tapped me for this one too. My, my friend Nate Mercero, um, called me and I got this text one day. It's actually kind of funny. Sean and Camila are doing the Christmas song. Can you do strings? And I'm like, Sean and Camila, like, for, are we on first name basis now? Like, <laughs> yes, I know who they are. Cause they're kind of America's sweethearts too. They're, they were in a relationship, which I think recently ended, but it was like, the sweetest thing. Um, and I mean, of course it's the answer is always yes. Uh, yeah. this one was a big deal for me though, because I remember just sort of having a stomach ache about it because I mean, how can you, how can you touch Mel Torme, <laughs> which, uh, was made famous by Nat King Cole? Like where, where do you, what do you do? How do you approach that? Um, it just felt really untouchable. So, yeah. Once I got my confidence up, <laughs> um, I, you know, I studied, I studied the Nat King Cole and Buble has a version, which actually I believe he did all the arranging, the string arranging himself, which is pretty badass. Um, obviously listened a lot to the Frank Sinatra version and just kind of thought about Sean and Camila uh, <laughs> to use them on a first name basis. You're on a um, first name basis with them now. You, <laughs> yeah, you played definitely. on one of their songs. Yeah, there we go. Um, 
And it just felt like, well, this is a this is going to be a really modern take. Um, oh, actually, I should say, too, the track that I got did not have vocals on it yet. Or it might have had some scratch vocals. So it was really um, – I didn't know what they were going to do. So it was both a really unique opportunity to shape the song a little bit more before they laid down their vox. And then also, like, I definitely felt a lot of intrepidation <laughs> about yeah. that. So, um, so yeah, I just I, – I wanted it to be – it's already a really intimate song, but mm-hmm. the fact that it was going to be a duet between two real life lovers felt this is next level intimate. So instead of doing a full on orchestral approach, I pared it down to something that sounded a little bit more chambery, a little bit more chamber music. Um, so if you listen to it, hopefully, <laughs> I think you can hear each individual instrument as opposed to you know, 12 violins creating a section where it just sounds like, you know, a wash, a, a beautiful wash. But I wanted it to be that sort of, I don't know, more subtle, more intimate. And maybe you can hear the color in each instrument a little bit more distinctly. Um, however, I really tried to use similar sort of chord voicings and sort of the vertical the way that the chords were thickened in, in the Nat King Cole version and the Frank Sinatra version, I tried to really reference that as well while keeping it more in this sort of more subtle chamber music vibe. Well, it certainly matches the, um, the of course, I had to watch the music video on YouTube. And it, it's kind of like this home home video of the two of them in their, in, in their house or, you know, in whatever space they're sharing at the time with their dog. So I, I feel like it kind of matched that. And I also like remembering, so this came out 2020, December 2020. Um, we were all still in heavy isolation at the time. So I, I feel like maybe like the the intimate sound that you're going for really worked not for the song, but also for the time. Mm, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, totally. And we didn't have the opportunity to go into a studio and record multiple, multiple people either because of the time. So all the strings that you're hearing are all me. And, you know, I think that there's a little bit of sweetness in that too, similar to, you know, the music video, just being them in their house. It, it really is kind of puts like a timestamp on this version of this song. All right, so probably goes without saying you play a fair share of jazz music. So your fourth selection brings us to the soulful spiritual jazz stylings of Dougie Stew. Yes. So, Dougie Stew, uh, I know that he is one half of Brigine. He's a, I know he's a Chicago native jazz musician, and I think he's based here. Um, I, I really like this song. I like this whole album. Um, tell us, tell us about working on this song, Henny. I love this album too. I was so stoked to hear it come out uh, not so long ago. Um, working with Doug is a blast. It's fu- a funny story, actually. His partner Brigine, who is the namesake of their project, Brigine. I've yeah. been friends with since I think I was 21, 22, oh, something wow. like that. We were just pals back then. And, uh, you know, she was at, going to UC Berkeley and I was sort of being a fledgling musician. And she's like, oh, yeah, like 
I, I used to play music. I play music, you know, sometimes. With, and now she's just made this stellar career. And then she started dating Doug and worlds collided. And that's always a beautiful thing. So, yeah. So for this record, um, Doug really masterminded the whole thing himself. He did all the arrangements himself. Um, and he called me and I just went into his studio for this one which was his kitchen. <laughs> I think he was engineering from his bedroom in Berkeley and um, set up a little awesome little home studio situation. And he gave me parts and, you know, I played down the parts. And then sometimes there's a little bit of like, hey, will you put an octave on that? Let's do that again. And, you know, if you have a harmony, just, you know, play a harmony, something like that. Very, very simple. Like he knew exactly what he wanted and had everything written out. And so, and then, you know, called the amazing Jeff Parker, <laughs> who, yeah. just, who just lit this track up. Um, and that was a surprise to me. It's like, I, this is a perfect example of going in and working on a song and having no clue what the next plans are for it. You know, I had no idea Parker was going to be on it. I didn't know until it came out. So very nice, beautiful surprise there. I wanted to ask somewhat related, but a little bit off topic, just playing violin in a jazz context and how much are you able to improvise versus just playing the notes that, that people give you? Mm -hmm. Well, it totally depends on what the project is and who we're working with. Um, very often people will have a, you know, a sketch or in Doug's case, like a, he knew what he wanted and we'll play that down a couple of times. And then really often they'll say, okay, let's do another pass where you just do whatever you want. Um, so maybe I take a solo or I add another harmony or some sort of like a this, it was a lot of um, textural stuff. And so I, I honestly, I can't remember what exactly we did in this session, but very often I'll go back and do something that has a little bit more counterpoint, and more of a moving line to support whatever's going on. Essentially, I'll just sort of add anything that we haven't already gotten that they might later decide that would be nice to add in. All right. So we're going to end this list uh, with a song from an artist who's been a guest on Select 5 before. Uh, this is Joe Begale, a.k.a. Otis McDonald, um, from his 2019 album, People Music. Um, and this is the album Closer, called Holiday. Stuck in a hotel room so what was the ask of you when you worked with Joe on this song? This one was really, really special. Um, I should say I've known Joe since 2009 and uh, we're super tight, good friends. His wife is one of my closest friends. He's one of my closest friends. So it was really fun to get to work on this. Um, but yeah, he hit me up and he said, I've got this track. Matt Wong is doing the arrangement, you know, can you come in with your strings and, and record it? And Matt Wong is another person that we're super tight with. Matt's a star composer and arranger. He's like in his early twenties now, but, um, my husband and I met him when he was like 12, maybe 11 or 12. He was studying at the jazz school and Joe said, yo, you guys, you got to meet this kid. He's an amazing keys player and he's writing and all this. And, um, we've been really close. He's played a lot with Jazz Mafia, but we've just been really uh, close with him for all these years and his career is taking off. And he's just one of my favorite writers and arrangers of all time. And I can't wait to see wow. where his career takes him. He's already been doing tons of stuff with John Baptiste and some of these superstars. Um, huh. 
So it was really special, sort of like a family reunion moment um, to get to work on this track with both of them. We ended up, I brought my string compadres in to different furs um, in San Francisco and we tracked it there and both Matt and Joe were there and it was one of those, I mean, Matt's arranging is so precise. Like he'll write everything he wants in the charts. Like there's no room for for error, <laughs> that, which is great. You know, it's like you're, you're definitely kind of using all of your skills as a musician to, to get his ideas across because he's communicating them incredibly clearly. Um, and this arrangement, as you can hear, is just so phenomenal, so beautiful, so luscious, very sexy and just vibes for days. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that extended instrumental. I mean, this is just like my favorite kind of stuff to play. It's just, it's so sweet and so tasty. So this, this one was just a joy to work on. It's lovely. And I also like how, I guess it feels like a narrative to me. Well, it sounds like he's probably out on the road or away from his wife for a long time and really misses her. Very simple sentiment, but there's something about the arrangements and the instrumentation is just, it it just feels like it, it, it kind of moves like a story does. Totally. And, and with all of Joe's music, it makes you feel good, you know, just like mm-hmm. one of my favorite things about his stuff is like all of his tracks, just like they warm you a little bit, you know, and probably put a smile on your face and you probably notice that your head's bobbing or your, you know, your foot's tapping. Um, and this one is no exception. Okay. We have one bonus track that you <laughs> wanted to talk about. Um, so Lizzo fans, You're going to know this track. This is the last song uh, from her album, Because I Love You. Um, Let's see if you can hear Shayna. Okay, I didn't. Uh, if you didn't did, you tell hear me, me on there? Were, well, I mean, if you didn't tell me that you were on it, I never. I don't think I ever would have heard it. How did you end up playing on this <laughs> song? Well, I wanted to play this as a bonus track because I think it's a really important part of what it's like to be a, a musician, <laughs> a recording artist these days. Because I wouldn't have known I was on it either. I had heard the track so many <laughs> times, and then like I don't know, a long time after it came out. Um, my friend who's a producer texted me and was like, oh yeah, I forgot. Uh, You're getting some paperwork today. I forgot to tell you, I put you on this Lizzo track called lingerie. And I was like, what? It's like, yeah, just sign the paperwork. You'll get paid. And I was like, I know that track. And I, I remember like getting my studio headphones because I was certainly not aware I was on the track first and listening super well in the studio. Like, oh wait, is that me? No. Wait, is that it? No. And then, and then I finally was like, I think there's some strings right there. That must be it. And I like had my husband listen to, I'm like, do you hear me in there? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There it is. So it was a, um, hide and seek situation. (laughs) Like I had to like find it, but this is a very, this is common. I think this is like, not, not that I'm on a track that I don't know about, but strings are often, often, like I said, they're, they're so textural that there's often strings in a track and you don't even really recognize them as strings. And in this particular case, there's this huge crescendo and the the track gets really big and there's a lot going on and there's guitars, there's all this stuff. And 
and there's strings in there as well. And they're me. <laughs> and um, the way that that came about is, is my friend had some stems lying around of something I had done probably for something else. Who knows if it was used or not. And probably late one night or something in the studio in LA, they're like, we need, you know, we need some more. And he just flew those strings in and it was great. And they saved it and put it out. And that's what happened with that one. So it's an adventure. Interesting. I, I guess I, I was wondering if, you know, did they really <laughs> hire you to just play four notes on the song? No, um, I should ask but- him what those were from too. What I had originally, it might've been, it's the same producer that I um, worked with for the Leon Bridges, Bet Ain't Worth a Hand track. So it's possible that there were some leftover things from that that weren't used or something. But yeah, I'll put it on my to-do list. Ask them, where did, where did those come from? What session? <laughs> That's hilarious. It is hilarious, but I'm not mad about it. However many millions of listens it has is like, it's always a trip for me going like, wow, like 34 million people have heard me playing and have no idea. <laughs> like, it's a, That's a, crazy. It's very meta. Yeah. It's a crazy thing to think about. Well, Shana, you are involved in so many projects at any given time. How can people stay updated on what you're up to? Great question. Uh, I've been horrible at updating my website, but my website is shanae.com. The best way to follow me is probably my Instagram. It's shanaviolinista. That's my handle. S-H-A-I-N-A, violinista, I-S-T-A. And then I'm also, you know, just deeply involved with everything that Jazz Mafia does. So Mm -hmm. follow Jazz Mafia too. And I I pop up a lot there um, with the various projects. Awesome. All right. Shana Evanick, thank you so much for diving into these five plus one songs with us. Uh, Shana's got a whole playlist of work she's recorded, which we will share with you through the normal means. Um, you can also stream any of the music Shana makes, uh, whether it's her solo album or the music she makes with Jazz Mafia or the Cosa Nostra strings. Um, if you have a chance, though, I highly recommend you see her live in any of her musical iterations because she knows how to put on a show. We've reached the end of this episode of Select 5. Thanks, as always, for listening. Uh, A shout-out to the team that makes the show, you know the ones, producer Kate Sullivan and technical producer slash theme song composer Brian Douglas. This is Pam Torno signing off. Peace, everybody. Peace.